Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm your co-host, Jeannie Rice, and we also have Dr. Tim Hayes with us, and we welcome you to the show. Today is Thursday, August the 27th, 2015, and our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue, and we'd love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. For those of you who are not familiar with what we do, Mind Shifters Radio is about shifting your mind, changing the way your reality sees what is going on in actuality. And you can go to our website, which is www.whyagain, that's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. I know the intro and outro music still says dot com, but that's our old website. It's now dot org. So you can go there and you can click and all of our tools, there's information, there's audios, videos, Uh, you can download all the worksheets, you can order product, there's just a lot of information out there on the website. So go there and to start with, if you're not familiar with it, click on the bullseye that's in the middle of the page. You might have to scroll down just a little bit or there's a button up in the top left corner that says start here. They both take you to the same starting point and so when you click on that, there are is a list of all of our worksheets. There is a link to go to MP3s of radio shows where we have actually walked somebody step-by-step through how to do the worksheets. The first link is to Chapter 24 of Michael's book where Michael walks the character Richard through doing a worksheet through the forgiveness process. The second link is for the stress reality management worksheets. The third link is to the MP3s that where we walk somebody through. If you click on the stress management reality worksheet link, Michael, I'm getting a feedback there from your phone. There are links to the seven-step worksheet, which is the one that we use most often. There's also links to the PowerPoint presentation, to the faster EFT tapping, which is something that we've mentioned quite often and and is used by several people through with in conjunction with the worksheets. And then there's the children's worksheets from Julie's book, uh, Healing Children, Loving Children. There's just, and you can just keep on going. There's the 12-step, the 11-step long form. There's all different worksheets. And 
several people, you know, I've heard use different ones, and, and everybody has their favorite. So you can go out there and play with that and see what fits for you. But changing your reality is going inside. You know, the forgiveness is not letting another person off the hook because of something that they brought up inside of you, but it's going inside and removing whatever it is that they brought up in you that does not belong. Anger, fear, guilt, pain, things like that. And those are the things that actually become your physical diseases as well. And so removing all that and getting back to being who we were designed and created to be, and it says that the creator is love and that we're created in his image. So therefore, love is what we are. It's the stuff we're made of. And so it's removing everything that's unlike that so that we can get back to being that creation. So I'm not sure if Michael is ready yet. He's been out. We've got different people on the property helping to look at different things, the sprouters and and cleaning up around the area and different things. And so he's been out there running around with those guys this morning. And I know we're meeting with Jim this afternoon, so it's a busy, busy day. We head off tomorrow for Branson again. Uh, We have some workshops that are scheduled, and Michael will speak a little bit to that. They're not open workshops. They're for a company or a group of people. And I think I heard his voice. So, Michael, are you there? You've got me, sweetie. Okay, and do you want to tell are... them what we're doing in Branson? Oh, yeah. Well, there's actually a, uh, a corporation that um, does publicity work. Uh, they're, they're a publicity agency, advertising agency, and they're working. One of their CEOs came to a workshop series I did in St. Louis back, oh, a uh, few months back, and uh, was so excited about the work that he's invited to come and do their corporate uh, meeting uh, that uh, happens next week. So we're going to be over in Branson working with this uh, corporate group on bringing first century Aramaic forgiveness and an understanding of the principles into that uh, that aspect of the corporate world. So that's going to be a pretty cool uh, event. We'll be meeting at 16 cents tomorrow morning involved with that, and it's a closed corporate meeting, so unfortunately we can't uh, invite people to come join us, but uh, although we would like to, that's uh, not in the agenda. So that'll be what we're doing there, and then beyond that, we're just going to take forgiveness to every mind, heart, and being on planet Earth. And the way we're going to do that is by making the principles available person by person by person expanding out the understanding of just what first century Aramaic forgiveness means, how do you engage in the process, and how do you go through what it takes to come out the other side. In the title of my book, and I feel so blessed the universe reserved this title for me, of course, is why is this happening to me again? and what you can do about it. And the character Richard is a kind of recalcitrant kind of guy who comes to uh, Heartland out of uh, kind of desperation, comes because a, a friend told him about our work. He's going through his third divorce, and he's taking the geographic cure. He just knows that he just needs to get rid of all those women who are the problem in his life, and then life is going to be fine. So he thinks by 
taking the geographic cure by changing the outer circumstance, that he'll get relief from his internal pain. Never stopping to think that, been through this three times in marriages and how many other relationships. And so we walk Richard through the whole forgiveness process, looking at exactly how we set up what happens in our world. And when we realize that we set that up, then you get an opportunity to start to change it. And as you change it, the whole game of life changes. One of the big tricks, though, that keeps us stuck in creating the why is this happening to me again experience is that we think because we can affect change in an external circumstance and that when we do that, we get relief from our pain, we think that by changing our external circumstances, we've gotten rid of our pain. And my offering is that's one of the biggest lies ever told by the mind. You say, well, Michael, it really is true because, you know, I had this conflict going with Hortense last week, and when I got rid of Hortense, I felt so much better. It's like, okay, I got it. But do you know what happened? Do you know why you felt better when you got rid of Hortense? It wasn't because your feelings changed. Your feelings didn't change at all you became aware of different feelings and Hortense wasn't there to resonate and activate those feelings of pain, of turmoil, and of trauma. And so when you do an external change, people become addicted to managing their feelings and their internal stresses by changing their environment. But In doing so, they've done nothing to change the cause of the feelings they were having. So in interaction with Hortense, and Hortense was angry and crazy and rageful and threatening, and I felt terrified and enraged too. When I got away from Hortense, I say, but my terror and my rage went away. It's like, liar, liar, pants on fire. Your rage and your fear did not go away but they receded into the unconscious out of awareness. That energy, until you address it and remove it from your structure, is there forever. So it may have quieted down, but here's what we know, is that every frequency held in the mind is continuously radiating an influence and through the law of resonance drawing to us an experience. And so I say I feel better since I got rid of Hortense, not because my feelings have been healed, but because what caused my feelings has receded to the unconscious level of my mind where I'm no longer aware of them. And I go out and I meet somebody else and it's exciting and it's fun and it's cool and and you see everything's better now that I've got rid of Hortense and now I've got, you know, somebody else. But if you've played that game for very long, like if you're in your 30s by now, you've probably played that game a few times, you'll notice that the feelings that were there with Hortense over time start to become the active feelings in relationship with someone else. 
and someone else and someone else. And people try to manage that internal process by changing the environment that stimulates what's going on inside. And when you change the environment that stimulates what's going on inside, you've done nothing to change the cause, and therefore it is guaranteed that you will be drawn into another circumstance with someone else to play that out again and again and again. The difference with this work is the tool of forgiveness. And forgiveness does not mean letting somebody off the hook. Forgiveness means removal. So every time you think forgiveness, if you think removal, your mind will be much, much more on track. So if in in interaction with Hortense or Mary or Bill or Harry, I have some form of hostility or fear that is active in me and I lose the awareness of the true presence of love that I am, then I realize that if I have the tool of forgiveness, rather than changing environments or external circumstances so the feelings going away, go, seem to go away, and setting myself up for a why is this happening to me again experience, then with forgiveness what happens is I actually go inside myself and I remove the root of or the cause of those feelings and what the forgiveness worksheet process, what the reality management process does is it gives me access to the parts of my mind that I've been hiding from myself, the parts of my genetics that perhaps I haven't wanted to look at and my bloodline hasn't wanted to look at in many, many, many generations. It gives me the opportunity to look at those things directly. And when I look at them directly, then I can bring them forward in the presence of love and begin the healing process. whole different game than taking the geographic cure. Remember, well, you know, it's interesting. The most played song in all of history, radio play, the most played song is You've Lost That Love and Feeling by the Righteous Brothers. Why do people lose? You know, here's somebody I'm attracted to. I love you. I cherish you. You're so awesome. I'm so ready to have so much fun with you. And I have unresolved hate and fear and anger and rage and guilt and terror and trauma from generations of the same and an early childhood of the same with the same energies in it. Guess what's going to happen to that love and feeling? Every time your partner resonates those brain cells, if you don't know enough to say, ooh, some rage just came up in me, I think I'll apply forgiveness to my rage. If your partner resonates sadness, if you don't have the brain cells to say, ooh, sadness just came up in me, I think I'll apply forgiveness to my sadness, my fear, my guilt, my grief, on and on and on goes the list. Here's what happens when your partner resonates those things you literally hook them into your brain's image of them, and then forevermore in their space, whatever's been resonating. You know, there's an old adage that says when brain cells fire together, they wire together. It's called the file folder effect. If I say, don't think about a purple alligator, what happens? 
you've got brain cells for purple and alligator. And now they're hooked together. If I open tomorrow's show and I said, don't think about a purple, what would happen? Alligator would fire. When brain cells fire at the same time, so I've got this person, I've got this love and feeling for them, and they give me the look that resonates some old hatred, and I don't know enough to forgive or remove my hatred, then I'll hook my hatred into my brain's image of them, and forevermore in their space, I'll experience on some level hatred. Now, it's usually subtle. But over a period of time, it usually takes a couple of years, the rage, the guilt, the grief, the fear, the pain, all get hooked in, and somebody opens up their eyes one morning, looks at this person and says, what the hell am I doing here with you? I can't stand how I feel when I'm with you. And everything that I'm feeling is a product of what's going on inside of me that I refuse to own, that I refuse to deal with, that I refuse to forgive. And so why did I lose that love and feeling that was so wonderful when I met this person? Because I've refused to remove those things that are unlike love. And every time that the fear, the hate, the rage, the anger, the guilt was resonated by this other person, the standard line in the culture is, you made me mad. You hurt me. Why are you making me feel so guilty? Why do you make me so hateful? All of that is the language of denial. And what happens is when we go into denial, in order to pretend, and, and this is our definition of denial, that something outside of me is the cause of something inside of me. In order to pretend that someone or something outside of me is the cause of what's happening inside of me, I have to hide the cause of what's happening inside of me. And so I dissociate from a part of my own mind. And now the part of my own mind that I'm dissociated from, and we're at the stage where you know it's pretty well recognized in the world of psychology that for most people at least 95% of their psychological processes are unconscious. That means 95% of the data in your genes and in your life are hidden from you. You're dissociated from them. And whenever somebody triggers them, then the tendency is to hook, it into their, to hook that feeling into your brain's image of them. And yes, love is going to die. No, it's not going to die. You lose the love and feeling because you replace it with everything you've never resolved. When you start to change the purpose of a relationship, and this is one of the first steps into interdependent relationships, moving out of codependent relationship, is to trust and to choose to communicate about what's going on rather than do the silent treatment and hide it from yourself and blame somebody else and then go do drugs to keep it hidden. And the whole culture is living under such a fog of drugs the, the, the selling of drugs in this culture is rampant and it's even thought of as ethical. And, you know, huge, huge corporations push drugs down people's throats, spend billions of dollars advertising the pushing of drugs down people's throats and call themselves ethical corporations. And when we drug ourselves, we go the next level into the dissociative phase of unconsciousness. And soon it comes to the point where unconsciousness runs our lives. If in relationship, every time something less than love comes up, and it may have nothing to do with the relationship, all that person has to do is be present. Maybe I got a phone call. Maybe I saw a message on Facebook that triggered something painful. 
And if the person laying beside me happens to say a word, all of a sudden that gets hooked into my brain's image of them, and then I start wondering what's wrong with them. Why are they doing this to me? What's what's the deal? And I start transferring that stuff into my brain's image of them. As I become aware and I apply forgiveness, I stop and I say, ah, I don't need to change my external environment. Now, we're not saying that, you know, if somebody's standing there holding a gun to your head, you say, oh, well, I think I'll just stand here and see what I need to forgive. Yeah, I'd suggest you exit the environment as quickly as you can. That's certainly a reasonable thing to do. But you might want to look at what's the part of me that draws somebody, cancel the thought, that wants to put a gun to my head. What do I need to forgive? And as I start to look at that, I start to change my circumstance. And when I purposely, consciously choose to hook into my brain's image of the people in my life, love and caring and support and nurturing, then as I do that, I start to shift literally the constructs that I make about them, and the game becomes a different game. People will go through something, and, you know, it maybe happened 10 years ago, and they'll say, yeah, well, I just didn't feel like you treated me properly back then. How does it look like your life to feel like you haven't been treated properly? Old, 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 old reality, right? And so when you think about condemning the person that you blame for that, then you have to dissociate from the part of your mind. Guess what's going to happen a year, two, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years later? You're just going to feel like you're not being treated properly because your feelings of not being treated properly are from inside of you. And when you just change the environment by getting rid of them or wanting to get rid of them or blaming them, all you did was hide the part of you that you want to heal and you set yourself up for another why is this happening to me again. Key to the process. The instant that you're in hostility or fear, you stop drugging yourself. You start owning and communicating about and looking for support to open the space to deal with what perhaps you've been hiding from yourself since, you know, the first time you got slapped in the face as a child or degraded as a child or beat up in a marriage or whatever. You start communicating about those things. You start applying forgiveness and you remove those things and gradually you move out of the good old family feeling into functioning as a true human being, as the awesome act of presence of love that you were designed to function as. And that's what we're here to support you in doing. That's what everything we're about is about. And so, Jeannie, uh, do we have Dr. Tim with us? Well, let's say hello to the young man and see how he'd be, see if he's got any thoughts about that introduction or anything to, uh, to share with us from what's going on in his world today. Well, I don't know how to add to that introduction. It seemed fairly complete. Oh, good. Uh, it was You're um, doing my job. Yeah, it sounded like I'd plugged in one of your tapes, and I picked up right in the middle of an explanation. And we should say that those videotapes are available on the website and well worth every penny. And furthermore, they're... They're full of such important material that for most of us is so, uh, how would we say this, contrary to everything we've been raised on, that it would probably take several dozen repetitions of any one of those videos 
before I'm actually starting to grab a depth of the content that's available and to begin to see how each of your videos presents different aspects of the critical tool of forgiveness and gives me a way to actually apply this set of tools in my life to improve my life. So uh, I think it was a fabulous intro, and um, I would like to just put in the public service announcement that those videos are available on your website and that they're worth every penny, and that if you spend whatever the money is, 40 bucks or whatever for one of the videos, I have to strongly recommend you do yourself a favor and watch it over and over and over again. I forget who was calling in just earlier in this week and said they were they'd watched the codependence to interdependence video once or twice a day for the past several weeks, whatever it was. So there's a reason we do that. And the reason is because whenever we encounter something that's new and deep, uh, the first repetition is only going to give us maybe 2 or 3% of the first layer of what's available, and there might be a 1,000 layers available. And with repeated viewing, if I go to one of those videos and I assume that what I think I currently know is either only partially true or completely false, and I sit down in front of the video with that, as my mindset, now I have the potential to actually learn something new. Now I have the potential to deepen my understanding and to actually leave that experience a different person than I was going in. So that's what I would add for today. I said it better myself. <laughs> and yeah, the videos, there are, there are actually 15 different videos on our website. We're getting ready to add a few. And the 15 different videos are uh, each one of them, as as Kim says. I mean, you could watch it two, ten, a hundred times. I actually, in in South Florida, I used to uh, uh, rent a room. This goes back 30 years ago from a little old Italian lady, and she got involved in the work and used to travel around to workshops with me. And she was a, a uh, an accountant, so she was very precise and took you know kept track of everything. And literally on the hundred time she heard the why is this happening to me again workshop she came back as she had many times before and said michael why wasn't that idea in that in those tapes why wasn't that idea in the last why workshop and i'd say angie it was there she said no it wasn't i said angie go back and listen she'd go back and listen she'd say i don't believe it i didn't hear it and and here's the thing you can't hear what you don't have brain cells for so it takes time to build the brain cells. You know, go back to Yeshua. He understood this principle very well 2,000 years ago when he said he had to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. The, the true depth of his teaching is only for those who have the brain cells. You, you know, I think we can fairly safely assume that most everybody in his audience had what we call physical eyes and ears. It wasn't about that. It was about building the brain cells to understand and comprehend in a way the world is is structured to keep hidden from us to keep us in the denial game and keep us blaming everybody else and keep us in separation and conflict. This is just a wake-up call. This is another opportunity to move forward. 
So, Jamie, do we have anybody in the chat room with a question for us that we should be aware of or anybody in the phone queue with a hand up? No, everything's quiet. There's several people on the switchboard and only myself and one other person in the chat room, but there are no questions. So if you are online already, all you have to do is press 1 and you're first in line with no waiting. So if Dr. Tim and I, Jeannie, were on a platform in your city and we just presented what you know, what Jeannie presented in her opening ideas, what I presented, what Dr. Tim had to say, and we were walking down off the platform, I know you'd walk over to me or Tim or Jeannie or all three of us and have a question. Well, I just have this quick question. It's interesting. Everybody's question is a quick question. And so if you push one you get to ask that question. And, you know, if you're kind of, oh, I don't want to be on the radio, I don't want to tell people my name, give us a false name. I don't care. I just want to handle the call you by when I ask you who's calling. And if your voice is a little shaky, so what? Who cares? It's the question that's important. And we'll do our best to open the space to give you as as, as accurate an input to your question. I've had several people who contacted me as a result of yesterday's show on the uh, the question about uh, terrorism that uh, it was a, it was a huge opener for many people if you weren't on the show yesterday go back to the archives and give a listen to uh, to yesterday's show it was awesome the first half hour of it just came together really beautifully you know sometimes you know you you're you're up there and you know you're right on well I was right on yesterday <laughs> so it was it was uh, it was good it was a great question uh, from a young lady who has asked the question, you know, she came to Heartland, geez, I don't know, 22, 23 years ago, and uh, and over the last several months has called in and basically asked the same question repeatedly, something that she's really chewing on and really working through in her own life, and uh, you know, a question about what do you do with terrorism if you're going to live as love, and so uh, it was it was just a really sweet space that she presented the question from, clearly having done a lot of work on it, and it elicited, I think, a, a response that will really open the space for understanding the why and how of Yeshua's teachings on love that has not been very available in our culture. So give a listen to that and push one to ask your question. We want another one of those. We have a hand up. Oh, good. Area code 334, you're on the air. Who do we have? Hi, it's Camille in France. Well, hey there, young lady. Welcome. Glad you're here. Glad to be hearing from you. Thank you. It's my first opportunity to call you from here, but I listen often on the computer and just keep on learning. Fabulous. Fabulous. I hope you're enjoying that Wellness to Stillness CD. Oh, definitely. Enjoying it very much. Uh, I I have had some setbacks with my experience. I was sleeping great. I mean, six hours in a row for me is fabulous. And then, uh, I don't know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday of this week, it was up and down, up and down, up and down. I slept uh, a little longer last night. And I'm always grateful for it, but I just I can't put my finger on exactly what the triggers are. 
Well, if you look at, you know, just take a look around in your environment, is there something in the last several days that has happened that triggered something maybe even that that didn't even come to awareness? Sometimes things things happen and they get energies moving in us that we are not even aware are disturbing. Uh, and, uh, you know, something we hear about on the news that on the surface doesn't seem to have any impact, but when the mind starts to work with it, it opens up things that uh, that need to be looked at. Well, I haven't watched the news in about 35 years. I finally learned that. <laughs> but one thing I'm, I'm dealing with, I'm doing uh, anywhere from one to five worksheets a night. I... I really like the quiet time just before I go to bed and I'm awesome. coming up with I'm I'm coming up with a kind of numbness when it comes to feelings. I I I can't summon anger, I can't summon fear, I can't summon any necessary hostility. It's just kind of like I I already discussed the the regret with you and Jeannie, oh, I don't know, 6 weeks ago or so. And so right. I was working on uh, on that surfacing, and I I feel like I've gotten to a um, a good layer of dealing with it. But now uh, my feelings are just kind of numb. Okay, and that's a that's a very well recognized stage in the process of healing. And I don't know if there is any alcohol or drugs in your history, but oftentimes no. if there is alcohol or drugs personally or with a parent. Uh, there's a, a, a need to process just plain unconsciousness. And if there is no drug or alcohol use, then denied feelings start to move, and they're so subtle as they process out that it will be numbness. And oftentimes I see, I've seen people over the years who kind of, you know, they, they're doing their work and they get some really nice breakthroughs. And, man, I, this is great. I'm loving it. And, and then all of a sudden it's like they hit a plateau. And yeah. and that numbness. And the numbness can go on for days or weeks. And then once they've processed that mass of just, you know, undefined emotional energy, they come out the other side and now they're back on the next level and the next layer, you know, off of the plateau to the next level. So it is it is a stage in the process, and I suggest you just make sure that as you do your worksheets, you breathe and just really be with whatever's there, and the numbness will process out. But that's pretty so normal. I I I should just nuts and bolts. I should just put numb in the in the uh, yes, blank. exactly. Mm-hmm. Numb, okay. and oftentimes and I, along with the numbness will come when you go to look at what's the the thought behind this feeling. It's just I don't know. I'm unconscious. Okay. So it's just dealing with mass unconsciousness. Yes, that's a big help. Now, there there was alcoholism with uh, maternal grandfather, but that's the only thing that I know of, and I didn't really know him. He died when I was about five, but I'm sure, you know, his conditions have passed down. Well, you may be processing some of the unconsciousness from his alcoholism. Uh, you know, it's it's very well recognized in alcohol treatment circles that oftentimes that alcoholism jumps a generation, which is pretty clear documentation that uh, there's a genetic component to it, and 
And so as you open up, you know, one of the one of the skills that we're encouraging people to develop is the skill and the ability to reach into and decode every nook and cranny of their mind, their emotions, and their genes. Scoop out the energy that doesn't belong and throw it away. And the unconsciousness of an alcoholic history in the genes is going to look like processing out that unconsciousness. Yeah, well, and then I, there'll be a point where you'll just wake up one morning and go, whoa, what a whole new level of awareness and feeling. Well, I did do, uh, not not knowing my grandfather, but hearing of him, of course, from my, my mother, who was uh, very adversely affected by his behavior. Um, I think she was separated from him when she was 12 years old, but he came to our house. I saw him when I was, I don't know, six years old or so, and um, and I and I knew I knew that there was love in the man. I mean, he he, my brother and I were the only ones born at the time, and my brother was younger than I, and and he he approached us with love, and he he actually did some work for my parents. But like I said, I was very small, so I didn't know were going on. But it felt good to do a worksheet. Even though, you know, I felt numb when it came to feelings about him or feelings that I knew he had caused in our family. So, yes, I I do know that breakthroughs can be done even with people we didn't know. Yes. And a couple of things on that topic. One is that, you know, with the stories that you've heard, one of the things that you can do is imagine yourself being in his shoes, doing the things that you've heard that he did and creating the energetic ripples that he did and do worksheets from his point of view. Oh, well, that's you beautiful. actually write the worksheet as though you're a him, and you can open that uh, for release. And one of the things that I've observed over the years of working with lots of alcoholics and drug addicts is my take is that by and large they came in as very tender people. Yes. And the love was very powerful in them, but there wasn't a place for it to land. I know there's truth in that. I, I just know it. The line the line that always brings emotion up in me when I think about this is the line from the song about Vincent Van Gogh yes. where it says and I've told you the world was never made for one as beautiful as you. Yeah. And it was made for one as beautiful as they or we. And the insanity took over. What we're looking to do is to support people in cleaning up that insanity so that the tenderest, uh, most generous-hearted sweetest creature that could come into a body could arrive and have a landing place that honors them and nurtures them and takes care of it to create a world where that's possible instead of the insanity that rules the game today. Because well, each of us comes in as that. Yeah, you're you're offering us the treasure chest for making that happen, Michael, and I can't tell you how much I well, I don't like to say that. I can tell you how much I appreciate it and it's 
just infinitely. I got it. I got it, and I appreciate how long you've been hanging with doing your work. I'm not even sure now. What is it, 26, 28 years? I first met you in 1980 in Atlanta. Okay, well, that's 35 years then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there was a the was Them was the good old days. <laughs> uh, well, they're they're getting even better, dear. I mean, I loved your... your um, performance, your presentation at St. Pete Unity. It was just spectacular this last January, and uh, it's gotten me back on track. Awesome. Def- well, that's but what I we're here to other, do, young lady. I know it's true. Uh, can, do you yes. have time to discuss one other yes, thing with please. me? Yes, please. Of course. Of I, course. That's what we're here for. I know, I know, and you do such a good job. I um, am in a new relationship. You met my uh, current domestic partner. Uh, we've right. been together for three years. I've been <laughs> doing the relationship communication as best we can uh, since, of course, well, he's multilingual, but we have interesting miscommunications between our various languages. And um, so we we really hit um, a hurdle a couple of months ago, and um, he agreed to talk to a counselor with me about it and then got upset and withdrew from that experience. And so uh, she went on to tell me, and I, I respected her a great deal, but she said to me, you know you're dealing with a narcissist. <laughs> Uh-huh. So I need to know how to do a worksheet on a narcissist. I mean, the my biggest dumbfoundment was, you know, the I know that the energy has to reside in you to attract it, to reflect it to you. Yes. But for the life of me, I don't see I have any narcissism. I mean, maybe I'm really pulling the wool over my eyes. I don't know. Well, and maybe the whole idea of narcissism is something that belongs to the therapist. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thanks for that. Well, because... what, what, what the therapist may be saying is, you know, basically uh-huh. when somebody categorizes another, unless they are totally clear, when somebody categorizes the other, another, what they're in essence saying, unless their intuition is really on and giving uh-huh. them direct information from the actuality, what they're saying is, well, if I were the one doing that, that's what this would mean for me. Yeah. But that doesn't okay. necessarily mean that that's what it means for you, just because if I were doing it, it would mean that for me. So I'd be careful about labeling him as a narcissist and and really distinguish is she really talking about her. Say again? It didn't feel good good to me, and I I really was kind of dumbfounded. I didn't know how to respond. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what she witnessed and, and what I told her my experience had been was how she summed that up. And mm-hmm. you know, it was entirely it was entirely too cut and dried for me, but I, it's just that it's my first experience at all with such um, like a category. 
I'd be careful about buying it. And, you know, what I hear in just a brief description without a whole lot of information about what happened, what I hear in your description is that you've got somebody that's got a really tender, hurt place where his anesthetic is anger. And to be able to approach that tender, hurt place, for him to be able to go there and not use anger as a drug to anesthetize himself is is going to take some skill and practice on your part to be able to open the space for him to look at that aspect of his life that right now sounds like there's you know the the the, the most powerful drug on the planet the most common drug on the planet is hostility and and if you watch anybody there was actually a film that we had had suggested to us about Actually, it's about sexual addiction that we watched recently. And there's several episodes where people go into uh, different types of of addiction, addictive behavior, mm-hmm. one alcohol, mm-hmm. drugs, rape. Mm-hmm. And, and it was an interesting portrayal. It was so clearly done. The granddaddy of all addictions is hostility. And in this film, they really reflected. Do you, do you remember the name of the film offhand? Thank you for sharing. Thank you for I think sharing. the name of it. Yep. Thank you Thank for you sharing. For yeah. Huh. You might want to get that and, and look at it. But but it, they did an interesting uh, uh, assessment of it and showing how, you know, as each person fell off the wagon, their first drug of choice, and it wasn't a strong enough drug for them, so they had to go to their next drug of choice. The first one was always hostility, every time. Mm-hmm. It's the granddaddy. It, when somebody goes into hostility, watch what they do next, and that's their addiction. Mm. And the the uh, hostility is the primary addictive substance. It's it's literally a chemical addiction that people try to manage something that's just too painful to look at and deal with. And so mm-hmm. if you can create a safe enough space to open that and with understanding, let that open. And there's one of the places where the still point breathing comes in, so becomes so powerful to just mm-hmm. open and crack that stuff and get rid of it. But that's what I hear. There's a really tender, hurt place that um, he's not ready to go to yet. Yes, yes, yes. It sounds true. like, by the simple fact that he said, yeah, I'll go to the counselor, it sounds like he wants to, but yes. he doesn't know how to go there yet, and, and that's that can be a tough place. Yes, yes. Well, I, I do know that he carries a lot of um, anger and hurt from as far back as, because he was directly impacted by uh, World War II. Mm, yeah. I hear that as one. A, as a child, as a child. Very I mean, small child, yep. Yeah, he was injured as a child, and uh, his entire home was destroyed by the Germans. And uh, so, and that, you know, um, is still, I, I hear it come up in conversation. And um, I know that has not, and, and we've been to a couple of things where he has uh, pulled through into um some, you know, self-realization. You know, we talked yesterday on the show, and it's a book that Tim uh, 
uh, introduced back, oh, I don't know, a year or two ago to the show by a man named Prandervan. It's called The Gentle Art of Blessing. And I don't know how easy it is to get books over there, but if it's easy, or actually you could just look it up. You can you can Google it, and you can can get this particular story. That we were you on the show yesterday? And we talked about it. Hello. Are you still with us, Camille? She actually just dropped off the switchboard, so I don't know if she had a connection oh. issue or what. Okay, well, if. Um, if you can still hear Camille, or maybe you'll go back and get this or call back in, but it might be worth uh, Googling that story. And uh, if you Google from the gentle art of blessing and uh, Polish keywords to put in would be Polish, German um, concentration camps. And uh, this attorney, that would be another keyword to put in your search, uh, this attorney had been in the concentration camps for seven years, but it might open a space for your partner to just read that to him and how this guy watched not only his own family being murdered, I mean, right in front of him, they just lined him up against the wall and shot them, but the townspeople in his town, and they didn't kill him because he spoke multiple languages and they wanted to use him as a translator. Uh, and as an attorney, he said he had seen what hate had done to people and so he made the choice then and there to love and that he went through the concentration camp, stayed healthy, where everybody else became emaciated and sick. He stayed healthy, strapping, still, you know, uh, a strong specimen of man after seven years. And I think it was Buchenwald or one of the concentration camps. And the doctors were just amazed. It's like, how is this possible? And he had kept his connection, his link to love. And that that might open a space for him to sort of process some of that uh, that energy that I, I just can't fathom what, you know, a 3, 4, 5, 10, 12, 15-year-old kid, how impactful it must be to watch someone come in and bomb your town, your home, your family, your friends, your neighbors. I, I just can't fathom how deep that pain must be. And I suspect that the label narcissist probably has nothing to do with him, but has everything to do with the therapist. And that, you know, as you open the space for him to gently peel away the layers, uh, it might just be possible for him to be able to look at whatever that core issue was and, and get to work through it. So we'll, we'll hold the space for that to happen. And has Michael, I've actually, oh no, I've actually put that on their website as well. Yes, she has, and I've got her turned on. Oh. Uh, if awesome. you just go to why is this happening to me again, I've got it titled "Choice by Love." Thank you so much. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I just, but just reading that, that to him might open a space for him because yeah. I, I just can't yeah. fathom how deep that that scar would be. It's just got to be monumental. Well. You or me. I mean, uh, it hurts me to hear him even talk about it. And I I, I want to do some worksheets because I know it will help me find the language that I need to, uh, you know, uh, hear him, to really yes. let him get it out. And, and the truth, Camille, is that if you, if you listen, and this is just a lesson in how denial works, you listen to the subtle denial that you went into, when you said, 
it hurts me to hear him speak about it. And my uh-huh. offering would be that's denial. Him speaking uh-huh. about it doesn't hurt you, but you have some similar hurt, so him speaking about it resonates your hurt. And when okay. I I do denial, when I when I'm in denial, I I speak about something outside of the cause, and then I have to hide the cause of my own hurt inside of me. What will happen is where I've hidden the cause of my own hurt inside of me, I cannot be rational or reasonable around whatever that issue is, and my intuition can't function properly to give me guidance. But as you step back and recognize, wow, when he talks about that, I've got some hurt about that kind of victimhood, that kind of childhood experience, and I'm going to work through that. Then that's when your mind will be able to reason correctly and your intuition will work so that you'll be able to tap in and be able to just say, be guided to say exactly the right words to open the space for his healing. Beautiful. I'm taking notes as fast as I can. Well, of course, the show's always on the archives, so you can go back and listen to them. But I just get the hit that reading that um, that story in Prandervan's book uh, would probably be uh, really useful um, for him in, in hearing this guy who, on no no basis of religion, just strictly intellectual, as an attorney said. I, I saw what hate did to people, and I decided I wasn't going to do that. I was going to love. And it was the only one in the camps that stayed healthy after seven years. Yes, yes. He so hearing that, that, you know, yeah, hearing that as a possibility may just open a huge space for him. And and yes. perhaps Dr. Tim would have some thoughts for you, too. Tim, you have anything to share with Camille? Well, the one question I had, Camille, is, how many sessions did you have with that therapist before the diagnosis of narcissist came up? Three. Okay. Well, I would be very cautious about that because while the idea of diagnosing is very, very popular in medical fields and for psychologists and psychiatrists in order to get reimbursed by insurance, et cetera, it's just a word. And to say, oh, I know what this person is because the therapist told me they were a narcissist is pretty much the same as when they were walking by your house one day, you took out your Instamatic camera and you took a picture of them. Yes. And and you have that picture on your wall, and then five years later they come up and they want to talk to you about something, and you say, I'm not interested. I already know who you are. Yeah. Because yeah. I have the picture over here. Yes. Thank you, Tim. I, I, Good analogy, it, Tim. It felt that way to me that it was just entirely too limited and too, I think Michael used the word, categorized. And that's why I'm bringing it up to you, people who have broader minds and better well, perspectives. And, and the idea of those labels, I mean, they have a, a bit of utility, and I, I use that word bit in there advisedly, because it can be a useful shorthand for professionals to begin a discussion about someone they're working with. And, of course, it's a very, very destructive tool when people mistake it as being, you know, the word is not the thing. So people assume that the word, there is a thing. And now that I've been told this person's a narcissist, now I know exactly what to expect from them, and I know exactly how to defend myself against them, and I know exactly, well, 
I've just locked myself in a prison and thrown away the key. And I've prevented any possibility of actually learning and growing in relationship with that person in any meaningful way. If I'm holding that word and the label as as an actual defining force for that person, I've taken myself out of relationship with them, and there's no growth possible when that happens. Beautiful. Right on, right on. There's a there's a wonderful phrase that comes from Longfellow, and I'll I'll paraphrase. It's not exact, but it's pretty close to a quote. And what he says is, "If we could but see the secret history of the person we call enemy, and we could say here of the person we label, there would be enough compassion to disarm all hostility." And it's time for us to it. be disarmed. Time for us to be disarmed. You know, the Course says, throw away your shield. Throw away your protection because your protection, what you call a defense, is actually an attack. And it's an attack on yourself and it will draw more attack. The great, one of the great lessons in the early part of the Course is, in my defenselessness, my power and safety lie. If I feel like I need to defend and protect myself rather than stand as a space of love, then I just set myself up for attack and have attacked myself. And when I forgive that and I stand just naked as that space of love, then what tends to happen because I am spraying love into my environment rather than my defense, my environment tends to respond with love. That's how the game is set up. Well, I'm feeling better. Well, we're here to support you in doing that, and uh, we we love it and enjoy the conversation, and we'll look forward to maybe getting face-to-face when you uh, when you get back stateside. It will happen. I'm coming to Heartland. I don't know when, but I'm coming. Awesome. All right, well, lots of love and blessings, and we're down with the last few seconds, so we'll just say thank you, everybody, for joining us, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, tomorrow's show. If you uh, care to share this show with someone, you can go to the archives and share it with them, bring them to the show tomorrow, and create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com. Sleep.